Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, the first half of the chapter. But before I do, it's helpful to get our history refresher. We've kind of talked for a couple of weeks about the historical context of Jeremiah. That's extremely helpful to know what is happening around the time that this book is being written, that this book is being prophesied. And so we need to remember some of these things. But basically, God had brought his people into the land of Israel. He set them up as one kingdom. But shortly after, after the rule of three kings, Saul, David, Solomon, the kingdom, it's split into two, right? And so you have the kingdom of Israel that's in the north and the kingdom of Judah that's in the south. Israel in the north was wicked. They ran from God. They never obeyed God. They did not offer sacrifices at his temple in Jerusalem. And because of that, God judged the northern kingdom. He brought judgment on Israel. He brought the nation of Assyria against them. They conquered Israel and they exiled the people of Israel, took them from their homeland and brought them throughout the Assyrian empire. They were completely judged. Now, Judah in the south saw all of this and you would have thought that she would have learned looking at her sister in the north what would come of those who turned their back on God's covenant, but she didn't. She's been this way alone in the south for a hundred years since that exile, but she has not learned her lesson. And so now Jeremiah is standing on a street corner in Jerusalem and he's saying to her, not only you Judah have not learned your lesson, but you now in these hundred years, you've become worse than the people of Israel. You commit more sin than the people of Israel. Does somebody hear the music that's serenading us? Is that somebody's cell phone or some music that's being played? That's going to be a perfect backdrop for the intense uh, passage that we have in Jeremiah 3. That might take the edge off of what that's going to be said today because Jeremiah 3 is a really graphic passage. It's a graphic passage. It's a passage that likens sin to prostitution. In fact, when I read this passage, you are going to hear the word whore again and again and again, way too many times for polite company. When we decided to preach through Jeremiah chapter 3, this was my reservation. When we decided to preach through the book of Jeremiah, this is what I was worried about, getting to chapter 3 and saying, what are we going to do? Because I understand that we ask ages 6 and up to be in the sanctuary. We want to preach the word of God so that somehow we capture the gravity of sin in Jeremiah, but we do it in an age-appropriate way. That's going to be our prayer today, that as we dig into this passage, God's going to take his word, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's going to grab big hearts, and he's going to grab little hearts, and he's going to make us as his people disgusted and sad about our sin, and he's going to cause us to turn and to run to Jesus. May he do that as I read this and as we understand Jeremiah 3. I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now God's word. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and become another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see where have you not been ravished? 
By the waysides you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not now just called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could do. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought after she has done all of this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with every stone and tree. Yet for all her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than the treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return to me, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one, from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Let's pray together. Lord, I very much feel that I'd rather be in John chapter 3 than Jeremiah chapter 3 this morning. I want to hear more for God so loved the world than I want to hear that my sin is like prostitution. But we don't get to listen for the parts we want to hear. And it is the Jeremiah 3s that make the John 3s all the sweeter. Would you do that wild work in our hearts? Would you shape our imagination of who you are and how you've called us to live? We plead for this. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Jeremiah is a living testimony that we never graduate from the gospel. It's going to tell us this again and again and again. To be born again, to be saved, we must repent and believe. We must agree with God that we have all sinned and all of us fall short of the ways that God has called us to live. He's written his law for us and we have rebelled against it and we are without hope on our own without God. But God says in the gospel that he has sent his son Jesus to do what we couldn't possibly do and that is to carry the weight of our sin, to bear its punishment And to make us, you and I, completely and entirely clean. We repent and believe on the day of our conversion. But Jeremiah is this not so subtle nudge that we keep on repenting and believing until the day we die. We don't do this because 
we start losing our salvation. We don't do this because we need to prove our salvation. We repent and believe every single day because this is what this new life looks like. This is what communion with God entails. Without God, before we had God, before we were converted, we didn't need to do either, right? We had nothing to repent of, and we had no one to repent to. But now that we're filled with God's Spirit, now that God has written His law on our hearts, now that we have this new desire to follow Him, His pleasure becomes our pleasure. We want to do the things that please our Father. Repenting and believing is one of the ways to drink deeply in Jesus every single day. When we repent and believe, we drink in Jesus and this gospel every single day. We're going to talk about repentance today, what it is and how to do it. Repentance is simply turning from our sin and turning toward God. That's the simple definition of repentance. And in fact, the Hebrew word for turn shows up 15 times in our passage. Everywhere in our passage, we hear about turning from this and turning from that. Repentance just means we're facing our sin, we're turning from that, and now we're facing towards God. When I read Jeremiah chapter 3 and 4, I see in it, Four steps of repentance. Four steps of this turning from our sin and turning towards God. Now, I never do this, but I've taken those four steps and I've uh, put some alliteration to them so that they are the four R's of repentance, okay? So this is going to be very memorable for us. Now, hang there for a moment. I've got four R's of repentance, but I wanted to, after I read this in Jeremiah, check it against just other biblical resources on repentance. And I read a few articles and I saw what others had to say. And I saw anything from three to 12 steps towards repentance. Okay, so that's out there. So when you get these four and you check them against the gospel coalition, you might think that I'm either missing a step or I've added a step. The point, of course, is it's not the steps that this entails or even my fancy alliteration, but it is the content of repentance that Jeremiah is going to show us today. Here's the four R's of repentance. Recognize, remove, resolve, rejoice. Recognize, remove, resolve, rejoice. Those are the four R's, and now I've got to tell you something terrible about what we're going to do. Today, we only have a chance to do number one. We're going to focus on recognize today. And then I would have rushed to do the next three next week so that we had the complete picture of repentance. But next week is Palm Sunday. And so we're going to stop and observe Palm Sunday. So then I'd race and get to it again. But then it's Easter Sunday. So then we're going to rejoice in that. And so you're not going to get the other three steps of repentance until three weeks later. That means our entire church is going to be limping around this month with just one of the four steps of repentance. If you can't possibly do that, grab me, let's get a beer. I'll share the other three secrets of repentance so that you can be a repentant person before Easter. But today, we're just going to focus on recognize. I want to camp out here. We're going to do it very briefly, but I want to understand what this entails because it's simple, but it's not easy. Step number one is to recognize. 
at its core, repentance is a double recognition. This is recognizing two things. When we repent, we repent in that we recognize our sin for what it is, and we recognize God for who he is. When we repent, we get our sin for what it is and God for who he is. Repentance is simply an invitation from God to see the world rightly. I want you to open your eyes and I want you to see the world as it really is. It's simple, right? That sounds so simple, but it is not at all easy. For every single one of us who thinks, I already understand this, I know what repentance is, I can do this, verse 10 in our passage should freeze us in our tracks. Look at this. Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. All of a sudden we realize there's some such thing as pretentious repentance. That is... It is possible to repent with our mouths, but not to begin to repent with our hearts. It's possible to go through the motions of repentance. It's possible to fly through the four R's of repentance in order and to never truly repent. Isn't that a little bit disconcerting to us to realize we can't wing something like this? That we, in our repentance, we even need to confess to God our need for his help, that we don't even want his help for repentance. We can't even carry this one thing by ourselves without God's help. Every single person in this room struggles with denial when it comes to our sin. Self-delusion about sin. It's not a new thing. It's not a 21st century thing. This thing is all over our day, but it was all over Judah's day as well. Chapter 2, verse 23. This is the Judeans. I am not unclean. I have not gone after the Baals. Chapter 2, verse 35, I am innocent. Surely his anger has turned from me. Chapter 3, verse 9, God says, she took her whoredom lightly. Denial was all over Judah's day. Denial is all over our day. Our knee-jerk reaction to sin is to minimize underestimate, ignore, or play down just how pervasive and far-reaching it is. Every single person in this room, this is how we react to our sin. This is how we respond to our sin. We all do it. It's amazing. Something wild happened to me this week where I was reading this passage. I was studying this passage. I was thinking about the deceptiveness of sin. And while I was doing that, I got a phone call. I had a couple of weeks ago begun a mentorship program where myself and a few other pastors are being mentored by a coach. He's discipling us. And part of this mentorship program, we had to do a lot of profile testing, personality testing, and we turned all that in. And the phone call that I got this week was the first kind of follow-up phone call for the results of this profile testing. So our mentor said to me, you know, I got the results back from that and you scored extremely high as an entrepreneur. I mean, you're just like, you're off the charts in terms of an entrepreneur. I I bet, he says to me, you're the kind of guy who likes to create 
and start things and dream about new things? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, you know, I bet you're the kind of person who you can size up a a situation and you can probably already perceive three things that you want God to change about the church that you're in. And I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, I bet you can look five years into the future. I bet you can see where where you want God to take this church within five years. Certainly. Yeah, that's me to a T. He said, I bet as this kind of leader, you want things done right. You want them done new and you want them done now. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize up until this point that he had been leading me on all the while uh, because it felt like he was scratching my back. But then he said, You know, with that personality, I bet at times you can be a very hard person to work with, a very hard person to be married to, and a very hard person to be fathered by. (laughs) And I was like, wait, whoa, how did we get there? Let's get back to the entrepreneur. Um, I went home and told Julie that. She was washing the dishes, and I was like, you know, can you believe what this guy said about me and this kind of gifts? And Julie, who's one of the most grace-filled people I know, put down the dishes, walked over to me, gave me a kiss, and said, I want you to spend more time with this man. (laughs) (laughs) I've been married for 13 years. I've been married for 13 years. I kind of understand what my weaknesses and my sins are, right? I know I need to loosen up. I know I need to be more affirming, but I, in all these 13 years, have never seen the connection between my wiring and my sin quite like this. In other words, I am self-deluded about my sin. I'm self-deluded. I don't see it for what it is. I haven't seen it all these years. I don't know how deep it is. I don't know how far it is. I don't know what kind of grip it has on me. The rule of thumb in Jeremiah is that whatever iceberg tip of sin is sticking out of the water in our lives, we as humans go to work justifying, excusing, downplaying what it is that we and others see. We can't help ourselves, that's what we do. We see that thing and we say, oh, yeah, that that right there, you see... This is a weird season, right? And these are unusual circumstances. And I'm not usually like this. And I slipped up and I messed up and I screwed up. But this is so out of character that I doubt you'll ever see something like this again. God makes eye contact with us in Jeremiah chapter 3, right? He leans in, presses in, gets our attention And he makes eye contact with us. He says, you didn't screw up. You didn't slip up. You didn't mess up. This is not an error in your life. This is adultery. You are my bride. I love you. When I came to you and I saved you, I made a covenant with you. I joined with you in this marriage covenant. I made you my bride. And because you're my bride, I am absolutely jealous for you. When you turn from me to other things, that's like a slap in the face. 
It's like you bring somebody else into our marriage bed. You take something that's beautiful and sacred and solemn and you make it cheap and dirty in your sin. That's what our sin is according to Jeremiah 3. And some of us are savvy to know that the quickest way out of a confrontation, the fastest way to get out of something like this is to make a really quick apology, right? When somebody comes to you and says, this hurts, you say, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I'm really sorry about that. And if the person confronting us really cares about us and cares about our relationship, they're not going to let a quick apology slide. They're going to press in and say, I'm not finished yet. I'm just getting started. You need to hear the way you're hurting me before you know how to apologize. That's what verse 13 is. It is recognition. Look at it. Acknowledge your guilt that you have rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree that you have not obeyed my voice. Real repentance starts with real recognition. It starts with seeing our sin as grotesquely as God sees it. It doesn't rush. It doesn't excuse. It doesn't downplay. It doesn't make quick and easy promises that we will do better next time. It pauses in a very dark place and it causes sin, sin. But there's something else to be found in the darkness when we're there. Because we remember that repentance is really a double recognition. We see our sin as ugly as it is, but then we also see God for who he is. If we rush through repentance and we make very little of our sin with our excuses and our promises to do better, we're going to end up rushing through forgiveness too and we're going to make little of the God behind the gospel. But if we are willing to pause and taste the sourness of our sin, we have an opportunity to savor the sweetness of the God who gives us his forgiveness. This is what he says. To the bride who has wandered off and satisfied herself in many places, she's polluted the land and she refuses to be ashamed for it. God responds in verse 12, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful. I'm here. I'm the husband waiting up on the front porch with the light on. I will take you back again and again and again, and you will find in me a faithfulness you have never known. Let's pray together. Lord, in our repentance, we find ourselves either lingering outside of the light of the front porch, afraid to face you with our sin, or we find ourselves blasting past you and into the house to enjoy forgiveness without gratitude. Lord, I pray that again and again in this walk of faith, we would be a people who repent of our sins, seeing it for what it is, and we would be a people who receive your forgiveness, knowing who you are. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.